Boys World podcast, brought to you in association with MS Amlin Boat Insurance. Hello and welcome to the Waterways World podcast. I'm Bobby Cowling, the editor of the magazine, and with me for this episode is one of our most high-profile waterways enthusiasts, actor Sir David Suchet. Best known for playing Belgian detective Hercule Poirot, David has been a keen boater for almost half a century. And in recent decades, he has become a prominent campaigner for a host of canal restoration projects. In conversation with Deputy Editor Sarah Henshaw and myself, David discusses, among other things, being a trailblazing liverboard boater in the 1970s, his passion for waterways history, and his recent acquisition of a narrowboat, one of many inland craft he's owned over the years. So, let's take a listen. David, it would be remiss not to begin by congratulating you upon your recent knighthood. Uh, When and how did you find out? Well, I actually found out at the end of June. um, I was invited to accept or decline uh, the wonderful honour of uh, 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 knighthood. And um, I was only too happy to accept because you are given the choice. Then one is uh, sworn to secrecy, actually, and very, very severely so, uh, until we are told that we can talk about it openly. I'm, I'm not quite sure for all the reasons that that is the case, but it is. it was the Queen's birthday honours, and whether it be the Queen's birthday honours or, or the, uh, at the Prime Minister's behest in the New Year's honours, there is this ban on, on telling anybody, but then it, uh, we were suddenly told uh, that I, we were clear to talk about it. I think that was on October the 9th at 10.30 at night. It's very specific. Oh, it's a long wait to have a secret like that and not be able to tell people. Yes, it was very hard, especially <laughs> especially when you're with family. You, know, you want to share these things, um, but no, you, you, you can't, not even to family. It's hard. Have you already been to Buckingham Palace to accept it, or has that been put on hold? No, all that on hold because of the lockdown. And I, I rather facetiously say that uh, if it's social distancing, it may, with with my height and everything, even when I'm kneeling, I think she may have to use a lance <laughs> rather than a sword. But it is, it is for me uh, after fifty one years now uh, as an actor, and I have to say it's it's the most extraordinary thing that's ever, ever happened to me. Yeah, I can believe that. It's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. I don't think the amount of years that I have left I will ever get used to seeing on an envelope Sir David. <laughs> and my wife being the lady, which is quite right, actually. It's the only honour, I think, where uh, one's, one's wife is allowed to become a lady in her own right. And I think it's acknowledging the fact that behind the knight is, is the real power behind the throne. And in my case, that's certainly the case. But I think in normal life, I, I, w- I will never ask anybody to use it. And if, I, if anybody in, a, in an event starts calling me social, uh, Sir David in a normal conversation, I think I'll say, please don't. What I'm pleased about then is that the charities and organizations to which I belong, whether it be as a patron or, or, or just a, a, a president's or vice president's, the, the charities, for example, the Litchfield and Hatherton 
canal mm. reservation trail, they've already they changed their letter heading within 24 hours. This is actually meaning more to me than anything else because mm. if I can raise the profile of those charities uh, that I that I'm proud to 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 be associated with, if they can raise their profiles by using my elevation, uh, then that gives me more pleasure than anything else. Yeah, that makes sense. And we should point out, you're involved with a lot of waterways charity groups. I mean, you've mentioned the Litchfield and Hatherton. There's also the River Thames Society, which you're patron of. You work with IWA a lot too. Are there any others? I mean, are you keeping tabs on them these days? There's so many. Well, it, it... it's just the waterways have been such an important part of my life that, yeah, most, most well, I have been, the River Thames Alliance, the, 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 the RTS, River Thames Society, mm-hmm. yeah, Richfield and Hathton, the Inland Waterways Association. Um, and I also did um, uh, another, oh, gosh, I've done so many voiceovers for, for waterway trips, for different canal trusts. Um, I did, did one only recently. Uh, for, for a northern canal trust I, it slips my mind at the moment but there are so many which mm. I get involved with because waterways whether they be rivers well the river Thames especially um, and the inland waterways of the canal system has been such a huge part of of my whole life since I really had our own narrow boat prima donna in 1974 can you tell us a bit about that? I mean, how did you get into boating? When did you first really notice the inland waterways? Well, I, I suppose it has to be for, thanks to the River Avon and thanks to my days at the Royal Shakespeare Theatre when I was there in Stratford because my dressing room um, overlooked the River Avon and I saw these long pencil-shaped boats, which I had never seen before. And I, after a matinee one day, um, I went for a walk on the towpath side of the River Avon and surreptitiously, through one eye, just glanced through the windows of these. We all do that, yes. <laughs> we do tend to, don't we? It's a bit funny being on the inside when that happens. It's fascinating people on the outside. Boats are now being built, of course, with privacy window, and I think that's a great shape on the inside. But um, they look like homes, and my my fiancé at that time, um, Sheila, and I were, were thinking of where we could live together. We were so sick of theatre dicks, and, mm. and we didn't have any money for any form of regular habitation and we decided to live on a boat and suddenly seeing these boats made me realize and Sheila that this is this could be a possibility so we went to a firm that no longer exists now so I can mention them they were western cruisers in Stratford and we drew up plans and took out a marine mortgage and had our first boat built and we called her prima donna she was a 52 foot cruiser stern um, that had um, many luxuries inside and the listeners may blanch when they hear it cost us all of six thousand pounds <gasps> no way that was a lot of money when we did when we sold her in 1981 
um, we, we doubled our money. So the, 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 the really think £6,000, a 52-foot narrowboat, fully kitted out. Uh, I wonder what, how that would transfer to today's money. I wouldn't like to think, but we thought it was terribly expensive. And what was it like on the waterways in those days? Before I suppose it was before leisure boating had really taken off, and certainly before the boom in liverboard. Oh well, absolutely. There were very few liverboards. There were one or two. There was an ac- actress living on her boat. I don't know that there were. There were lots of old boatmen living on their boats. The, mm. the, I, I remember going when I, when we were moored in Birmingham near Gastry Basin, with the old working boats were still there, and a lot of the elderly then elderly in the early, well, late 1970s, were still living on their narrowboats when they, when they were taken out to service and they, they took them over as their home and they were all living in the back cabins uh, in Gas Street. Wow. Uh, and it was an extraordinary time. There were no, hardly anybody on the canals. There were very little, uh, where, with Prima Donna when we were cruising, there were very little online moorings at all. It was leisure and it was very seasonal it was never all the year round and there I can't think of many liverboards now times have changed and um, really have yeah but I think what you know as I, as, as I often say the the canals the inland waterways our canal system is is unique we have so many miles, more miles in Birmingham than the, there are miles of canals in Venice. Um, we have such a resource that used to be the trunk roads of our past and now the pleasure grounds of our present and future. And this is unique. I can't think of another resource where that's happened. Mm. Were you a continuous, what would now be called a continuous cruiser in those days, David? Well, you- we didn't think of ourselves as continuous cruisers. We we had our main base at Bulls Bridge Wharf, that wonderful historic wharf at the end of the yeah. Paddington Farm, at Bulls Bridge, uh, where it joins the Grand Union, the Paddington Arm Grounds. And that was, of course, the great Bulls Bridge Wharf of, I think it was Fellows Morton and Clayton. Um, I don't I think it was, all their working boats. And we were on those moorings, which was fascinating. And it was, a, it was actually, we had um, two, two or three static houseboats, and I think there were two, two liverboards, uh, narrow boats, and we were there. Uh, but we used to leave because our job, uh, both Sheila was working, I was working, we were both working in, the, in, in show business. And at that time, we were in rep, and I was at the Royal Shakespeare Theatre, and all repertory companies were built on the canal system because they were in industrial towns. Uh, and and there, there was Stratford, the Stratford Canal. So we were continually moving our boat to where we were working. But we dropped anchor so to speak we always came back to our home berth at bulls bridge in in southall so that that was before it's it's all been really redeveloped now hasn't it there's a tesco's there and and so forth. yes it's unrecognizable now absolutely unrecognizable but then, so it should be you know the, we, we have to move on and we and we have to find new ways of existing and the waterways have changed beyond beyond my comprehension i I never envisaged in 1974 that they they would be such a part of our society and part of great britain that 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 they are now because in 1974 most of them were 
a lot of the arms were totally disused, mm-hmm. and the River Avon itself had only just been restored. If someone, someone had given you a crystal ball back in the early 70s and you could see the waterways as they are today, how would you feel about that? Well, I would think how very clever, how very clever that we are beginning to, be, not beginning, but have, have, have gone way down the road of really using this resource. I think it's a bit complex at the moment because of the amount of boats. There's far more boats than were ever in the historic system. I think there's three or four times as many now. And uh, there is a danger that, that like all motorways that are built and when they're finished everybody in cars say oh they didn't they didn't think ahead enough it's still not big enough these roads the same with the canals i think they're getting choked and uh, one has to try and find and i don't know how the canals and river trust are going to one has to try and find means of getting more and more boats off the line of the canals themselves we have to provide uh, proper uh, marinas where mm. boats can a be looked after properly because they they're, they're sitting in the water and they need to be cared for and to be taken off the waterways that can still be then enjoyed by people who want to have recreational fun and cruise at the moment in some places and i've only just come down on a narrow boat in the last month from birmingham uh, right the way down onto the river thames oh, wow. um, and I, I have to say that that there were many, 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 many miles. Now that the season is just about over, well, it is over now, but this was about four weeks ago, coming to the end of the season, the not many boats, not many boats cruising at all uh, for 10, 15 miles. And my average speed was one and a half, two mile an hour. Yeah, it's really frustrating. I think a lot of the listeners will share that. And uh, but But also... Um, also, we've got double moorings. So very, very often, I would be in a situation, even four weeks ago, when I would meet another boat and neither of us could, could move mm-hmm. because there's no room either side to pass. And if you meet a wide beam, that's the end. That's, that's like being on a very narrow road in the country. One of you has to back and yeah. reverse. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very, it's a very. I think we're coming to a very difficult situation, especially with the economy of our country as it is, and the housing and the price of houses and the, and 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 people wanting to live on their boats full time. And my heart goes out to them, and I and I think there has to be a way of not penalising them, but encouraging them and making it possible for them in a decent way to make this possible. But then they, mm-hmm. we have to provide for these boats. They can't just be allowed to to be on the canal itself. It's too. First of all, I think it's too risky. There's the danger of being broken into. There's the inability to really look after one's boat there, and you can only see the state of some boats on the canal. They need a lot of tender, loving care, which they can't be given in that sort of situation. So I think we are in a uh, in a, in a place on our system where we really have to accept what's happening, not point fingers and say, oh, liverboards are terrible. No, liverboards are not terrible. They just have to be looked after, cared for, and and um, encouraged in the right way. If 
if one just points fingers and starts saying, oh, get off the canal, then it will produce an anarchic feeling mm. and people will do it in spite of what's happening and that's not good. No. You've already suggested more marinas might be a solution, but I was wondering, considering you're such a great advocate of um, restoration projects, whether opening up more waterways might also be an answer to the problem. Opening up waterways would, of course, Sarah, be an answer to the problem. But if you work out how many pounds per yes. mile it is to open and to re reestablish a canal that's in got, gone out of use and, and it needs restoring compared to building a marina, mm. uh, the, the marina would be the lesser cost mm. and, and also would take, take more boats in its area, in its area of... Uh, you know, square square meters, etc., whatever. But I I want to see the system completely opened up. I want in my lifetime to see these these wonderful waterways all joining together again as they used to be. Mm. Because then, yes, you're right. It will alleviate the congestion, but then only to some extent. Because as more people see that the canals are opening up, more people will want to buy boats. Yeah, it doesn't really solve the problem at the source, does it? No. But uh, I think we can all agree that restora- canal restoration is a fantastic thing. So, Well, it's its own, and it's got to be supported by government. So many canal restorations, and I, my goodness, I know it from the Litchfield and Houghton, um, are blocked by road builders or they're blocked by railways being built etc etc there's got to be a real sensitivity to this in government one can't just do it i've been campaigning for the litchfield and hatherton for uh, over 20 years now and i've been in parliament and i've spoken to parliamentarians and i uh, and pleaded the cause we, we've got to get Parliament on our side because it's not something that is just for fun. This is something, this is part of our her- heritage. I've always said that our canal system is one of the brightest jewels in, our, in the crown of our heritage. And it, it, it's, it's very much part of our national life. And as we enter the world of more and more leisure and people are wanting now to work at home more, to have more leisure, people want more boats, there's the miles of canals. Restoration is going to become a necessity, not a luxury. And we've got to get the government behind this. When I went to Parliament and talked, everybody's sympathetic. The, the parliamentarians, they, you will not hear a parliamentarian say they're not sympathetic. A lot of parliamentarians enjoy the canals. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of people in Parliament can't wait to get on a narrowboat or a cruiser or, or on the Thames or, or whatever. They'd love it. Uh, it's just how the resources uh, are, are sorted out. And with the pandemic that we have and the, 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 the country in so much debt, uh, how much of how much can we expect in the future? And I think that it's going to be a very, very trying and testing time for restoration when people who are so generous in giving and uh, etc. I don't know how much money there will be from government. It's going to be a very difficult time for many years. And that's where I go on my knees and say thanks to all the volunteers that work on our waterways. Um, and 
maintain them, look after them, care for them. And the canals and river trust, my goodness, without the volunteers, they, they, they wouldn't be able to do much at all. I do think that the Canal and River Trust have done a very good job of harnessing volunteer support. I, I think the, the volunteers that the work on our whole system are, are terrific. I, I was coming down some flights of locks, uh, uh, the, the big Hatton flight, for example, which, I, which, I, which I've just done, and the volunteer lock keepers uh, that have been doing it for, for years. Uh, absolutely wonderful. So in Interesting. So, and they love the canal, and they help the boaters down, and they're so charming, polite, helpful, uh, etc. I really am I'm so grateful to all they do. And being a hands-on boater myself, I'm so aware, so aware of what they do. As would any rambler or, or nature lover, or, or indeed cyclists that, that use our tow baths. about your most recent trip on the canals the one that you said happened about a month ago well, it, was just, it was just moving I have to tell you that I'm the proud owner of a new narrowboat but I, oh, I yeah. wow well, congratulations it's, 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 well thank you I'm so excited um, it's and as anybody buying a narrowboat will tell you that nine times out of ten, you have an idea of what you want. And I remember saying to you, Sarah, that I would love an old Yes, tub. I remember well, yes. Because I'm a very classical man by nature in nearly every area of my life, including narrowboats. And um, this will be our fourth narrowboat, um, from traditional to cruiser stands. I was determined this, this time it should be a, a nice, neat, traditional tug with a yes you said a tug style you know two-cylinder russell newbury and all the rest of it <laughs> I, I ended up with the most modern boat i think i could ever find it it's nothing no it's absolutely nothing like i would have imagined i would have bought that um, i'm thrilled to bits with her she's absolutely delightful i'm getting to know her and she's getting to know me um is it a new build or secondhand? No, she's she was a, a, a one-year-old boat um, that sadly the, the previous owners it, it couldn't work out for for health problems. And I was informed about this boat, as I told you, I always trawl the sites anyway. Yeah. And so I was very very fortunate to buy um, virtually as well a secondhand boat, but virtually virtually new. And um, and I'm looking forward to exploring the system. I will still, however, I must say, I will still use um, hire boats because it's not always easy. I don't know where we're going to end up permanently mooring, um, but it would be in London or the Midlands or somewhere around there, but it's never going to take me to the full curve wheel, which yeah. I to do and I would also love to do and I hope I can get up there with my boat but if not I'll go back to um, hiring a boat on the Leeds and Liverpool because uh, we had the most wonderful holiday on the Leeds and Liverpool canal uh, some years some few years ago and we enjoyed it so much that we only did half half the trip um from Bo, Bo, where was it about um Arnoldwick, i think you said no, Arnoldwick. Yeah. Uh, we, went, we went from from there 
to Leeds, and now I want to go from Barnoswick to Liverpool. So that will be a, a lovely cruise. And if I can't get up there in my boat, I'll be hiring again. I think hire boats are fantastic. I think great. Yeah, I think a lot of people, have, they're going through a bit of a boom at the moment. Um, a lot of people have discovered them for the first time this year, just as a as a sort of staycation. Well, I think most, so many people, because of our situation with the pandemic, so many people have not been able to leave our country. And they're rediscovering the resources on our doorstep. And one of them is, of course, the people discovering uh, canals and uh, hire boat companies. Yeah, which is good because the hire boat companies really, really need the business after so long. And well, they really do. And, and, and cruising the canals and bumping into one or two hire boat companies and chatting with them. They've had a really, really, really hard time because the, um, the lockdown started, what was it, March, middle March, and uh, was there for a good while of the cruising season. And nobody could go on. Nobody could go on narrowboats or boats or cruises or anything like that. So, yeah, people have had a really, really hard time in that part of our leisure industry as hire boat companies. Who do you usually go cruising with, David? Is it always your wife, Sheila? Do your kids come? Do you ever take any famous friends or out on the boat? Well, we used to. We used to have a lot of famous friends when I was in Stratford, uh, a lot of very, very high-profile actors, because that was our home, and they used to come for tea in the afternoon, or we, we'd cruise the Stratford uh, uh, on Avon Canal and also the river, the River Avon. You know, we'd stop off, and there would be some some um, what I would call A-listers, which who I will not mention. Uh, I don't, don't uh-huh. know. <laughs> But um, some lovely, lovely actors um, that used to come on board and and, um, the people that have been friends for years and years from our drama school period that we worked with. um, Yes, a lot. At the moment, that that doesn't happen. Um, I'm not in that sort of regular situation of being at the RSC or anywhere like that. Um, Mm. And so really, it's... uh, it's either family, friends, but generally speaking, it's mainly and probably will be for a good while to come, um, my wife and I. And that's, of course, how we started. And, and I love that. I, I, love, I love cruising with Sheila. It's the, it's She's the most- a phenomenal captain and crew member. And when we spoke earlier this year, you said um, when you were first living aboard and moving between different theatre companies, she did a lot of the moving herself single-handed. Absolutely. And like quite late in some in some occasions as well. Well, I, say, I remember saying to you, I think my wife is a born again boat woman. I think yes, I compliment. <laughs> apart from being the most incredible steerer, I remember the first time we had a seventy foot traditional narrowboat, the, the very first time, and uh, I said to her, I said, "Come on, uh, we're going to do our first lock, and I'll do the lock." And she looked at me, and we'd never been on a 70-footer before. She looked at me with horror and said, how, how can you? I said, because you're the steerer. You're the steerer. <laughs> and we were, we were in a narrow canal. And um, I did the lock, one gate open, and there was like um, threading a needle. She just 70 foot straight in, didn't touch either side. She's just gifted. She is so gifted. And uh, so I... Uh, and she loves steering and being in control of the boat. And I actually love doing the locks. 
Uh, it's so refreshing we we spoke about this earlier this year it's so refreshing to have yeah the the female of the couple at the helm and the male doing the locks because so often it's the other way around yes i remember i remember being in manchester on the on the the canal and uh i i had been doing the locks all day from about seven o'clock in the morning to about four o'clock in the afternoon and i said to sheila oh look there's a couple coming up i'm just going to take a breather um, I'm going to have a cup of tea and do a bit of steering. And um, she was on the lock and some people on the towpath shouted out, yeah, typical man having a cup of tea while the woman worked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, little did they know. <laughs> My other favourite story you told me about Sheila was that she did, she DIY blacked the hull of your first boat before you sold it by herself. And while she was probably pregnant. Well, sacrifice is not the word for it. She's unbelievable. She, I, 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 I've always said that cruising with Sheila on the, on the canals is rather like dancing because we can go through the whole day, we, through the locks, through flights, whatever, and hardly say a word to each other. Uh, it's just like silent meditation, really. We dance through the locks together. And we go right the way back to 1973 when we started, when, you know, we were bumping here, bumping there. Uh, but she was the one who really mastered it first. And when 1981 came, or 1980, when we, she was pregnant with, with our son, to be, uh, I was working literally from 10 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night at Stratford doing, doing shows, rehearsing during the day and performing at night. And we'd sold our boat, uh, because we had to, we were coming back on dry land. We didn't think it was, it was right on a, on that sort of boat really to bring up a, a, a baby. And the, purchaser said that he wanted the um, not only the sides blacked but he wanted the underneath blacked as well and so western cruisers uh, put her on blocks and sheila with her big bump uh, lay on her back with a a tin of black of, of black i think i think it was what did we it was like black tar in those yeah some kind of bitumen and she unpainted the underneath so it was all dripping on her all the way for days until she'd covered the full 52 foot i, I mean she's she's incredible she's absolutely incredible Where's next on your sort of boating bucket list? What what waterways haven't you explored yet? Which would you really like to get out? Well, to? I'd like I'd like to re-explore, as I said, the Leeds and Liverpool. I'd love to go back to Birmingham and 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 look at those old wharves again. I like city cruising as much as country cruising. I I really enjoy the heritage about uh, uh, the boating mm. heritage. I like to just sit on an old wharf and imagine or look look at pictures of an old wharf and then sit on that wharf as it is today and sort of imagine what it would have been like i'd love to do the full kirk wheel for example that i've just mentioned um i'd love to go back to spend more time on the calden canal which i think is one of the most beautiful canals. it is beautiful, mm. very underrated yeah i think it's I think it's an absolutely stunning piece of waterway and i'd like to get more time. I've spent a lot of time 
um, boating, going from A to B, rather than just having leisure holidays. Uh, those times when it's just been leisure has been such a pleasure to be able, and this is what we found on the Leeds and Liverpool, it was a holiday, we took three weeks, and we, we suddenly said, oh, we've had enough today, let's just sit and enjoy the countryside. It's such a pleasure. I know the Thames is very close to your heart as well. And you've done, you've actually been the whole length of it, haven't you? Yes, not the whole length. Well, yes, I suppose on our different boats, uh, as I said, this is narrow boat number four. But in between, we we did take an old Dutch barge out of service from Belgium Belgium, and uh, brought her over to this country and converted her. And that was our boat for 10 years, beautiful um, Dutch barge of uh, 24 metres. And we were able to, well, let let me go right the way back with Prima Donna in 1974, 75, 76. We actually came, came out, I think at that time it was Brentford, and we went up and we did the whole of the length from from Teddington right up to Lechlade. Wow. Uh, we couldn't go any further, so we, yeah. we moored up and then we got our inflatable out and then we paddled until we couldn't go any further. And then we put our Wellington boots on and then we, we were very near the very source of the River Thames and we never got there because oh. no, we were headed off by a swan, a swan. <laughs> a swan protecting her nest, and no way, no way, were we ever going to see the source. That was her territory, and we we acknowledged it, and we said thank you very much, and backed away very quickly. <laughs> Surprise! They can be really aggressive with their young. Yeah, yeah, but but uh, what a wonderful river the Thames is, and I'm so proud to have been a small part of it and part of the River Thames Society and the, uh, the River Thames Alliance. It is the most extraordinary, wonderful stretch of waterway, and then also the tidal Thames. Uh, yes. Goodness me, one has to be very careful on the tidal Thames. And by the way, anybody cruising the tidal Thames in whatever boat you have please just don't go on there like I did in ignorance about what the currents, et cetera, are like. Really get some training and know what you're doing beforehand because it can be a very, very naughty river. First time ever we went on the Thames was out at Limehouse. And um, I remember feeling, my goodness me, uh, and that was when we took the boat from the Limehouse up to um, – up. Well, we were going back to Southall at that time, so we did go under under Tower Bridge. But the most exciting time was on when we had our 70-foot narrowboat. We came out of Limehouse, and we were on the tidal Thames way before Tower Bridge when suddenly a police launch came upon us with its blue light flashing and a big loudspeaker said, move to the North Shore. <laughs> move to the North Shore. I, I, I looked at Sheila and Sheila looked at me and said, what, what do they mean? <laughs> Which one's the North Shore? Oh, the North Shore. I said, where, where are we? Where are, what do we do? Well, we realised then, of course, it meant the, 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 the North Shore. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the north side of the river. Mm-hmm. We got over there. And what the, the reason for this was because a huge destroyer came down oh. with all 
all the company on board standing at strict attention. And it was absolutely jaw-dropping as this great big battleship passed our little narrowboat and um, all we could do was wave. (laughs) (laughs) And be grateful you got out its way. Yeah, but I'm here to tell you not one person waved back. They were were under (laughs) strict discipline and standing to attention, but that was so exciting. And also... We then had a bit of imaginary fun because then we went towards Tower Bridge that was still open and we thought, oh, how lovely they've opened it for us. (laughs) (laughs) How are you coping with this second lockdown, David? I mean, I guess it must be kind of frustrating if you've just bought a new boat and you can't go out and and play on it. Yeah, but that's the same for everybody and we're all in it together and I think it's a great unifying factor of our country as, as, as much as, as it's so frustrating. Yes, of course, that we can't get on our boat. But hey, uh, you know, at the moment, thank God, my wife and I are, are not infected with COVID-19. Uh, mm. This country is, is pulling together in the most amazing way. Um, and yes, it's hard. It's hard on the young. It's not so hard on uh, on myself or my, my darling wife. We're, we're, we're of a certain age where you know, we can accept these things and we live in a very nice area. We live in a very nice apartment. We've got space around us and we can go out and have walks and and have a little bit of recreation. Um, But for people who are not so fortunate that live in one room with children and for the young who can't get out, for university students and they can't get out, psychologically, this is a very, very, very difficult time. So all I can say from our point of view is my heart goes out to all those that are having problems, even those that are... Look, living on narrowboats, they can't get out either. They're, they're trapped inside their narrowboats. So, yeah, I cannot complain, and I wouldn't want to be heard to complain. I, I'm very lucky. We're very, very fortunate. And, yes, I, I find lots of things to do. I do lots of readings. I do lots of Zooms, uh, which has become part of my life. I've just directed a lovely group of actors that we've just read a new play for producers to listen to um so i'm i've been busy i do um as i do lots of uh, christmas readings for churches at the moment I'm, do, I'm doing a lot of zoom readings for them because they're they're developing their their churches for the christmas period you know the, the their services so i'm doing lots of that i'm doing lots of different things and yeah i'm fortunate my, my lockdown is is not a troublesome one at all i'm i'm very very lucky though david i'm interested to know how you became so heavily involved in the litchfield and hatherton restoration well, that was an interesting time. In the year 2000, there was the boat show in London. Mm. And uh, I, I was very, very friendly with, um, and I still am friendly, with Chris Coburn, who's a great uh, canal enthusiast and supporter, and, and he uh, uh, owned a boat and did what you did, Sarah, before you. He, yes, I picked his brains before I went, actually. <laughs> you know Chris very well. He's a great, great uh, su- supporter. And, yeah. uh, uh, and he... Uh, invited me 
to a, dem a demonstration at the London Boat Show in the year 2000, I think it was, um, when there was a forum and, and a whole uh, space put aside for the restoration of the Litchfield and Hatherton Canal and what desperate need they were in to get money um, f to build a culvert under the uh, under the motorway that was going to threaten their whole restoration project, and I went willingly to to this meeting, which was held in 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 the London Boat Show, and I felt so strongly it, it, out of impulse. Um, I stood up at the end and I said, uh, "Look, the canals mean." so much to me and my wife because of how we were looked after when we first started in 1974 and how generous everybody on the canal and waterway system has been to us and kind towards us and we know the system fairly well i i would like to be the face of your restoration and i would like to head a campaign to get money to build the culvert that we need and that was accepted and since that time, I've been as active as I've been able to be active due to my time limitations or, or time availability. And we did get, a, we did reach that money and a culvert was built. And uh, now there is another campaign for, for a railway and another culvert, etc. And so it will go on and on. But that's how I became involved at the very beginning. It was just an impulsive thing, really. I just jumped out of my chair and said, me, please. <laughs> I'm still positive. I'm still positive. I'll see it. I still want to take my note through it. Mm. I belong it. And other restoration products. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the Wendover Arm Trust as well. Oh, um, right. Okay. And give them my support. And I, I you know, th these names will come upon me, but I, I, I do as much as I can for as many as I can. You do a lot. Well, you really do. I can. I've just got a, a quick Poirot question, um, David, which is obviously the acting role that you're most famous for. And for that, I imagine you must have immersed yourself in the interwar period. And I wondered, does Waterway's history of this era, era hold much appeal? Huge appeal. The the classic heritage, the, the, the what we did in wartime uh, with our boats and and how they were used and, and the fact that so many men were called up and we had these amazing um, women coming out uh, from their homes and actually so many women took over the homes of these working boats to help our country um, with its mo movement of goods and even movement of arms as yeah. uh, the, through the canal system. Um, yeah, absolutely fascinated by that heritage and fascinated by the early, early boat, boat men and women uh, that you see. And uh, on my bookshelves at home, I've got so many wonderful books of early, early photographs of, of the life on the canals. And my goodness, it was tough. We, we, it was tough. I know. We tend to romanticize oh, it now, but it was really grueling. Yes, it was. And I, I remember telling you that, uh, you know, that... Uh, stories of how boatmen had to and uh, boat women had to get their boats from london to birmingham for example, within a certain time or their uh, this was their home that the boat would be 
taken away from them. Yes, it was tough, but as my wife says, quite rightly, probably not as tough as working down a mine. Yeah, uh, true. At least they were outside and all the rest of it. But yes, it was a tough life. And going back to when it was only horse drawn, um, and the, they had to get their, the, hopefully, the, the, their sons at a very early age, when they were seven, um, had more strength than their daughters at that age, and they would put them into shoes and clothes, and 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 actually work the canals with with um, with the horse and everything. They, they they grew up very quickly. I remember you telling me about well your personal connection with your your dad was a gynaecologist. Am I right? My my dad was a gynaecologist and obstetrician, uh, mainly at St Mary's Hospital in Paddington. And when he was a junior, the doctor he used to go down and be called by the the women on the narrow work the working narrow boats to deliver them of their babies. However during wartime especially. Um, I remember my father telling me this such a sad story, and it's with me today, of the times that he used to go down to deliver babies only to discover that police were there and were there with him. Uh, and my dad recounted the story that the police were there because they were there to prohibit the women from getting rid of their babies in the canal because they didn't want them because they had too many children. I mean, I mean absolutely horrific. And as I'm, as I'm actually retelling you this story, I'm, I'm feeling in my stomach a pain of, of, so of that tragic situation. And there was, yeah. there was, they couldn't afford birth control and, and whatever, and they're all living in a back cabin, for goodness sake, and everybody knows what that's yeah. like. No room for anything. So they couldn't have huge, large families. And at that time, if if it was a little girl, for example, that couldn't really work the canal, they didn't want them. Yeah. And they'd, be, they'd be thrown overboard. And the, the amount of babies that were lifted out of the canal by the police during those period, the, the, that period of time was immense, and we forget it. We forget the other story I remember telling you of a of a boat a boat on a fellow's Morton and Clayton, I think it was, going from London to Birmingham. And uh, they used to strap babies to the roof of the boat uh, to keep them safe, as well as inside, of course. But there's one tragic story of a, one of the babies falling off the roof and ending up in the canal in the Blisworth Tunnel. And there was no stopping the boat to pick it up. It's just no too stopping. bad. You just keep going because you either lose your home for being late and and actually you've got other children to bring up uh, at the expense of the one that, that is sacrificed for the family. Uh, terrible stories, terrible. Yeah. Whenever you read um, first-hand accounts of boatmen, even working into the 20th century, it just seems that drownings and death were just very, very common. Well, it was also one forgets that, I mean, we, <laughs> we see it in miniature today as one approaches a lock and it's in your favour and all of a sudden, way ahead of you, you see people scrambling to get, get onto their boat and get into the lock before you. And, yeah, and, I'm that. <laughs> a lot of deep breathing and mindfulness to say, okay, fair enough, um, instead of yelling. So mm -hmm. we have to go back, though, to the days of the working boats uh, because 
a lock in your favor really saved you time. And time was of the essence. Mm -hmm. And there are many stories of many very vicious fights that took place between boatmen because a boat would steal the lock of another working boat, especially on the narrow canals when the locks were only could take one boat at a time. Mm. Um, and uh, on a double lock, yes, one boat could wait for another boat, but not a working boat with a butty. Uh, the, the, working, the, the double locks were there so that the butty could get in as well. It, it wasn't just for two motor, motor boats. So it, that, that whole thing of a lock in your favor and not being taken by another boat in the early days was a really, really big moment of, of aggression and frustration. Mm. How do you think you would have fared as a working voter, David? Do you think you have the temperament for it? Um, from a romantic point of view, I'd love to think I would. From a practical point of view, I don't know whether I could actually deal with the stress mm. of it's, it's, it's great to do it in the sunshine. Yeah. But when, when there's ice and there's snow and... And uh, under time pressure and, yeah... And it, if my horse went lame or if I was on a motorboat and my, my Russell Newbury that we all love today broke down and I had to wait for the, for the engineers to come on a very rickety van and try and put me around. This was all time. The whole thing was time driven. Mm. Uh, uh, we don't have that today. I suppose the nearest I could get to that today is to be, in a position, I suppose, of a salesman or a telephone salesman when my whole livelihood depended on commission. Yeah. And it, every, every sale lost is, is an income lost as well. And every, every hour on a narrow boat during those days that I'd lost would mean the possibility of losing my home. Whether I would have the temperament for that, I doubt it very much. I don't know if I could cope with that stress. No, I don't think many of us could these days, actually. David, Sarah mentioned Poirot. What do you think his attitude to boats and boating would be? Well, he would do the same, I suppose, as he, as he does with the countryside. He'd have pictures of them in his flat, uh, which would enable him to enjoy them from the inside of his flat because he would never have to visit the <laughs> waterway himself. Uh, like he was very, very appreciative of, of landscape painters, which meant he never need, needed to leave London. Poirot um, mm, would never, ever, would have ever been seen anywhere near any form of inland waterways whatsoever. And to get on a cruiser for him, which he did, of course, on the Nile and other places, that would, would give him such feelings of seasickness that he developed his own method called lavagueur. I won't go into it, but um, <laughs> to stop himself being, being seasick. No, the whole thing would have horrified him, absolutely horrified him. <laughs> Well, David, thank you so much for giving up your time today. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Well, it's such a pleasure to have been, been interviewed by, by you both. And um, I look forward to getting out on the water and being able to say hello to some fellow boaters and some fellow ramblers and some fellow nature lovers, uh, anybody that enjoys our wonderful inland waterways. Choosing the right insurance for your narrowboat YB more cruiser can be hard work, 
but the friendly team at MS Amlin Boat Insurance will provide a quote tailored specifically to your boating needs and really take the hassle out of insuring your boat. Call 01732 223 650 or visit boatinsure.co.uk.